College can be one of the most anxiety-provoking times in the life of a young adult. I used to work with college students at Washington University in St. Louis, and I remember one conversation I had with a student named Matthew. Now, as I was talking to Matthew, I could tell that something was bothering him, so I asked if he was okay. And so Matthew, he said, you know, oh, I, actually, I'm, I'm fine, but I'm actually really worried about my friend Sarah. Can you pray for my friend Sarah? Sarah was an architecture major in her senior year, and she had been working on her senior project all year to present it before her professor. And when the time came for her to present that senior project to her professor, she was consumed with anxiety, lacking confidence. She had hoped she'd have, she would have had more time to be working on her project throughout the year, but she realized that life got in the way a lot of times, and she was not able to present the project that she was hoping to be confident in. So as she stood there before her professor with her project lacking confidence, filled with anxiety, her professor's response was worse than what she even imagined. Her project was re rejected, and her professor was so hard on her that it left her feeling broken, full of doubt, anxious, and without confidence, feeling like she had no purpose in her life. So Matthew, as I was talking to him, he was concerned, and I was concerned too. To live in a state where you feel this weight of, of uncertainty, lack of confidence, and anxiety is simply unbearable to live that way. And maybe that is an accurate picture of your relationship with God, what you feel your relationship with God is like today. Are you anxious today? If you were to stand before the throne of God today, would you be anxious, wondering, have I done enough good that God would accept me? Or would you have confidence as you stood before the throne of God? Today, as we look at 1 John chapter 5, we're going to see that those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ can have confidence before God. And our passage shows us three ways that we can have confidence before God. We can have confidence in God's will, we can have confidence against sin, and we can have confidence in Jesus' protection. So let's look at verses 13 through 15 to see how we can have confidence in God's will. So John opens up this, these final concluding remarks of 1 John with saying who he is writing to. Look at verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So right off the bat, John makes it clear to all of us who he's writing to. He's writing to those who have eternal life, to the children of God. And then after making it clear who he's writing to, he gives us his purpose statement. Now, wouldn't it be nice if all writers did that? Just put it right up front, why they are writing. John does that here. He says why he is writing. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of God, the Son of God, so that you may know you have eternal life. Here in these nine verses that we're looking at today, John uses the word know seven times. 
So it's very clear what John's purpose is. His goal in writing these words is to help those who are in Christ have confidence that they have eternal life. So what does John say in verses 13 through 15 that show us why? Why can we have this confidence? Why can we have this confidence in our eternal life? Well, there are two things that John points to as a source of our confidence in verses 13 through 15. So look with me at verse 14. What does he say here is the first basis of our confidence? And when we approach God and ask anything according to his will, what? God hears us. And that gives us confidence. What is the first basis of our, of our confidence? It's that God hears us. God's, God's will, his desire is to hear us. It's to hear us when we call out to him. That's the first basis of our confidence. John then continues to show us another reason why we can have confidence that we have eternal life. Look with me at verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, John is doing something really interesting here, something important in what he's communicating here in this verse that I didn't actually pick up right at first. John says, if we ask, and if it's in God's will, then what? We have it. We actually have it. Right? There's no if, ands, or buts about it. John doesn't say, we might have it. John doesn't say, you will have it if you do X, Y, Z first. He doesn't say, it will be offered to you and you need to accept it. No, John says, if it's in God's will and you ask for it, you actually have it. Right now, it's yours. Well, maybe you're a little bit hung up on that. Maybe you're thinking, well, in verse 14, it says, well, it's got to be according to his will, right? So if it depends on God's will, then how can I have confidence that I actually have eternal life? Well, let me share with you a few verses that show you what God's will for you is. Jesus in the Gospel of John in chapter 14 says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And Jesus again in Matthew 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who, finds, who, he, he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened to you. Now, I could be up here all morning just reading verse after verse after verse to you that show you that's God's will to give you eternal life. To those who confess their sin and call upon the name of Jesus. Do you want to know what God's will is for you today? It's to give you eternal life when you ask for it. To those who ask for it in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, in Matthew 7 that I just read to you, when Jesus says that he longs to give us what, what we ask for, he gives us this picture of a father, right? And Jesus tells us that it's the will of, of the father that when his child comes and asks for bread, that the father doesn't give that child a stone, right? And when that child comes and asks for a fish, the father doesn't give the child a snake. It's, 
If the child has a need, it's the father's will to provide for that need. Now, one of the things my daughters ask me for, probably more than anything, is to read to them. And I mean, there's times when I love reading to my girls, and I'm happy to sit on the couch and snuggle with them and, and read a book. And, you know, there's also times when I do not feel like reading to them. Felicity, we've read that book a thousand times today, in the last hour. I know, I don't want to read that book again. Our girls are just, uh, just so tired. I just don't want to read right now. I just, no. You know, there's times when we doubt the goodness and the graciousness of God's will. We doubt that he longs to be gracious to us. He longs to be with us. He longs to give eternal life to us through Jesus. See, sometimes rather than seeing God as a gracious, generous God who longs to save us, who longs to give us eternal life, we see him as one who turns away from us, as one who does not hear us, as one who looks at our lives and says, I want nothing to do with that person. Scripture makes it clear to you today who God is and what his will is for you. It's to give you eternal life. He's a gracious, generous God who longs to give you eternal life when you ask for it. To those who confess their sin and believe in the name of Jesus. Do you believe today that God actually hears you when you call out to him? Do you believe it's God's gracious, generous will to give eternal life to those who who call out for it, that they might actually have it? God makes his will clear to you. He is a gracious God who longs to give eternal life to those who ask for it. The invitation is open to you right now. The invitation to call upon the name of Jesus so that you might have eternal life and have confidence that you have it. God is eager to give it to you. All you have to do is call upon the name of Jesus, confess your sin, and you will have it. I'd love to talk with you more if, if you want to know what it looks like to actually have eternal life or to have confidence that you have it. I would love to talk with you more about that. I'll be available after the service if you are interested in hearing more about that. But maybe you're still feeling a little bit unsure. Maybe you're still feeling unsure that you can feel confident that you have eternal life. Because maybe you're thinking, what about sin, right? What about sin and the life of the one who, who has eternal life. I mean, wouldn't God just eventually say, all right, you have sinned too many times. I am removing your eternal life from me. I am taking my eternal life that I gave you back. And so John here in verses 16 through 17 addresses our attention to sin. Now, perhaps as you look at these verses at 16 and 17, and you heard them read to you today, Perhaps you are completely confused about what John is saying here in verses 16 and 17. Or maybe, maybe you are terrified. There's a sin that does not lead to death? I'm confused. There's a sin that does lead to death? I'm terrified, right? Have I committed that sin? Did I commit that sin in the past and lose my salvation without even knowing? Do I need to get my salvation back? Right? I mean, it just leaves us in this state of 
anxiety over our salvation here all of a sudden. And it seems so contradictory, right, to what John just said his purpose was. His purpose was to make us know, to help us know that we actually have eternal life. And it seems like John just suddenly, he just throws a bomb into our life that just shatters any confidence that we have in our salvation, in our eternal life. So in order to really understand what John is saying here in verses 16 through 17, we need to look a little more closely at these verses. Let's start by looking at the sin that does not lead to death. Look with me at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that he should pray about that. Now, as you look at this verse, it's natural to think that what John is saying is that there are different types of sin. On one hand, you have sins that are really not that bad. That if you commit those sins, you can actually avoid death, that you can actually get away with it. That if you do those sins, you're going to actually be okay. Now, that idea doesn't really make sense and leaves us feeling confused because it seems so contrary, right, to the rest of Scripture, right? Scripture makes clear to us that all sin leads to death. In Romans, in Romans 3.23, it tells us that. It tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All sin leads to death. So what is it that John is saying? Well, look closely at verse 16. Who is the one committing the sin? The sin that does not lead to death. Who is it? It's the brother. It's the one who already has eternal life. The one who John has just made very clear in verses 13 through 15 that indeed has it, has eternal life. So if that brother who has eternal life sins, then that sin will not lead to death because he already has eternal life. And they can have confidence that their sin doesn't cancel their eternal life because who gave them that eternal life? God. God gave them that eternal life. And that eternal life is not based on their good deeds and their works. It's based on the completed sacrificial work of Jesus on the cross. So we can have confidence against sin because the sacrifice of Jesus and the gracious will of God is bigger than the sin and the life of the one who has eternal life. Well, what then about that sin that, that does lead to death? I mean, doesn't that mean that perhaps there is a sin that the believer can commit that will make them lose their salvation? So in studying this passage, many commentators will connect this verse to, to passages like Matthew 12 and Mark 3, where Jesus talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in Matthew 12, And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but there was a time in my life when 
Verses like that would terrify me, right? Now, in addressing this topic, John Calvin states that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, as we just saw and Jesus talked about in Matthew 12, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the Pharisees' deliberate rejection of known truth. Jesus stands at the door knocking. He's right there, and they spit in his face and lock the door. There is a sin that leads to death. It's the sin of the one who has rejected Jesus. It's the sin of the one who never had eternal life. Jesus is standing at the door knocking. What is your response? Maybe your response is to lock the door and go hide in the back room and hope that Jesus will eventually just move to the next house. Now, are you afraid to let Jesus in? Are you afraid of what that might look like to let Jesus in? Here is my encouragement for you today, if that is where you are. If you let Jesus in, you will finally have peace. You will finally have confidence. And when you stand before the throne of God, you can feel confident in your eternal life. Or maybe you're here and you've already let Jesus in. Maybe Jesus is inside your house, but you are brushing the sins under the rug. You're grabbing those sins and throwing them into the closet, hoping that Jesus will not see what's inside. Maybe you, you feel like if Jesus walks in and sees the horror that is inside, he will turn around and walk right back out. Let me give you this confidence today. When Jesus comes in, he will never walk back out. There is no sin too big, too evil, too wicked that Jesus cannot forgive, that Jesus cannot make clean. There is no sin that Jesus will find so horrifying that he will turn around and leave. You can have this confidence today that when Jesus comes in, he's in to stay. Don't sweep your sins under the rug. Don't throw them into the closet. Bring them to Jesus, and he will make them whiter than snow. Bring them to Jesus, and he will forgive them and remember them no more. And you can have confidence, confidence against sin in your life. And we not only have confidence in God's will and confidence against sin, but we can have confidence in the continuous protection of Jesus. Look with me at verse 18. And we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. Now here, John gives us one more reason why we can have confidence. It's because we have one who is continuously protecting us. Now John does something really interesting here in this passage. John uses one Greek word to describe the believer, the one who has eternal life, as anyone, anyone born of God. So John gives them the status of being a child of God by using that word. But then John takes that same word 
to describe the status of one person, the one who was born of God. John uses that same word to describe our status before God, and he uses that word to describe Jesus's status before God, as born of God, a child of God. John does this. He uses the same word to show our status before God that he uses to show Jesus's status before God, to show us that we have been united with Christ through faith, and we are united with him in his status before God. We can have confidence as we stand before the throne of God because there is one who was born of God, Jesus, who stands in front of us with his arms outstretched, revealing the holes in his hands, showing that the price of our sin has been paid. It is finished. And he stands before us, giving us confidence before God. And we can approach God boldly. We can approach the presence of God boldly because the one who was born of God paid the ultimate price for our sin. And that one, the one who was born of God, Jesus, what does he do? What does our passage says? He, he keeps us. He protects us. Right? In this life, when we're so bound to fall back into sin, even when we have eternal life, we have one who knew no sin, who is constantly and continuously keeping us and protecting us. Now, Jesus gives a, a really beautiful picture of what this looks like, what this keeping and this protecting looks like in Matthew 23, where he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how often I have longed to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You see, to illustrate Jesus' deep desire to keep and protect those who belong to him, Jesus draws on that protective nature of the mama instinct. That instinct that's so deeply wired into mamas to keep and protect their little ones. And it's a beautiful picture of the deep desire to keep and to protect. And Jesus, he uses the illustration of a, a mama hen protecting her little chicks. Now, I'm not around farm animals a whole lot, and, you know, we don't have, you know, chickens running around our house over there. So I don't actually know what, what this looks like. So I, I looked it up. What does it look like for a mama hen to, to gather her chicks doing this? So in this video, I saw a, a mama chick with some little, or a mama hen with some chicks around her. And then suddenly, a dog shows up and starts snooping around a little too closely. And it was amazing that Mama Hen, she fluffs up her feathers, gets to be about twice the size, and then all those little chicks just go bloop right underneath her wings, and they just disappear. They don't even see them anymore. And then that Mama Hen, she, she plants down, she stares that dog in the eye, and it's as though she's saying, there ain't no way you are going to touch one of my chicks. And it's amazing. It's an amazing picture of that instinct that's so deeply wired to, to protect and to keep. And that's the picture of Jesus' deep desire to keep you and to protect you for those of you who are in Christ. 
Jesus keeps us. He protects us. He keeps us. Whatever comes at us in this life, nothing can snatch us away from the protective power of Jesus who keeps us. There's no power in heaven or earth or under the earth that can separate us from the powerful love and protection of God in Christ. If you are a child of God today, you can have this confidence today that Jesus' power keeps you and protects you. The message of 1 John 5, 13 through 21 is, is clear to you. You can have confidence today as children of God, as those who have eternal life, because it's God's will to give it to you, and when he gives it to you, you have it. You can have confidence against sin because there's no sin that will make us lose our salvation if God has given it to us. And we can have confidence today in the one who died for us, the one who keeps us and protects us. A few weeks ago, I had a chance to attend adult Sunday school. So I sat in Bill Trotman's class and listened to him as he taught from Psalm 110. And one of the things that Bill did that I really appreciated was he, as he was talking about the nature of God, he drew our attention to Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, it says, God says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. What is the ultimate reason that we can have confidence today as children of God? It's because God hears us and because God has come down to rescue us. I once heard a pastor share a story about one of their church picnics. And at this picnic, a group of men decided that they wanted to go out and, and play football. So as these men were playing football, a little boy looks out and he sees them all playing football. And he thought it looked so fun, so he wanted to run out and join them. So this little boy, he, he runs out and he wants to be part of what, what they're doing. And some of the men, they get a little annoyed. And then one of them has an idea. Oh, here, why don't you come over? You can, you can come, you can get down, and you can hold the football for us. So that boy, he's so excited, right? He gets to be part of what they're doing. So he goes, and he, he gets down, and he holds the football. But then, to his great horror and shock, what happens? A big, scary man starts running at him to kick it, right? And this boy, he freaks out. What does he do? He, he scoops up the ball, and he starts shaking. He's scared. And then the man starts scolding this little boy. What are you doing? We told you, if you wanted to play with us, you have to do what you're told. You have to hold it like you were told. This is what happens. The boy, he, he starts to cry. And the pastor who saw this scene unfolding in front of him, he then, he, he starts walking out. He walks out to the boy who is on, on the ground crying. And what does the pastor do? He comes down. He comes down to be with that child. And he looks at that child whose tears are falling down his face, scared. And he says, hey, are you scared? And that boy, you know, tears running down his face just nods. 
And the pastor says, hey, I'm here. Let's do this together. I'll be with you. You see, the reason why we can have confidence today is because that is what Jesus has done for us. He has come down from the throne room of heaven to be with us in our mess. To save those who call upon his name, who cry out to him. And when we call upon the name of Jesus in our mess, in our sin, confessing our sin to him, it is God's will to save you. It is God's will to give you eternal life. And you can have confidence in that today. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come before you and we confess that we have nothing to bring to you, nothing to boast in, but only your gracious goodness to us, Father, that you saw us in our mess, you saw us in our sin, and you came down to deliver us, to rescue us. And Father, as we look at our status before you, as we look at our salvation, we have nothing to boast in other than what you have done for us through Christ. That Jesus, you paid the ultimate price for our sin. It is finished. It is paid for. And now all we have to do, Father, is receive it through God. And Father, we give thanks for that. We give thanks that you do not tell us we need to live a certain way or do lots of good things first, but you say you, that we can have it right now if we call upon the name of Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those who are uncertain today of their salvation, that you will give them certainty and confidence. I pray for those who do not have eternal life who may be here. I pray, Father God, that, that they will call upon your name to be saved and that they will have confidence in you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.